0: Welcome to Consulting Mastery, where we help B2B consultants master the business of consulting. I'm Carrie,
1: And I'm Ahmed. Join us as we explore the art of delivering outstanding client value, earning a higher income, and thriving in today's marketplace.
0: So tell me what a consultant is. Define it for me.
1: Put me on the spot, will (laughs) you?
0: That's what I'm here for.
1: Although it's and, in the title of the podcast, I should have a ready ready definition, right? Uh, at any time.
0: Well, and specifically, I think what I'm trying to get at here is what is a consultant and what is a contractor?
1: Yeah, I'll give you my definition and I don't know what Merriam-Webster would have to say about this necessarily, although I am curious uh, and I'm going to look it up while I'm giving you my definition. Mine is a consultant to somebody who gets uh, compensated on the back of their expertise by delivering advice slash service. So there's advisory and there's service. Don't have to be both necessarily, could be either or, Uh, but it's driven by some form of intangible, ideally rare, specialized expertise.
0: Yeah, and I think what's really interesting is The difference between that and a contractor, right? That and a pair of hands, that and a gun for hire, whatever it is that we want to call it. Because this is where I find that people tend to get themselves caught up sometimes. And you know, not being clear about how you are providing service um, has a whole bunch of ripple effects, right? To how you pre- from how you from how you present yourself to how you charge for your service. So I think it's a really interesting, um, you know, definition to be really clear on. What did Merriam-Webster have to
1: say? Um, the first is very unhelpful. It says one who consults another. Thank you, <laughs> Merriam-Webster. Mary- <laughs> You've been. And
0: we are all consultants now. We
1: know. Still <laughs> so helpful. The second is one who gives professional advice or services. Uh, the 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 Google definition, which I think comes from Oxford, if I'm not mistaken, is a person who, by Google, I mean, I just typed in consultant definition, right, uh, is a person who provides expert advice professionally. Mm-hmm. So the, this notion of advice or advisory keeps coming up. And, yes. and it's interesting because a lot of people come to us and they go, I get that you guys help consultants, but like, I don't really know if I'm a consultant. I have this service. And our question back to them is, but is there an advisory element to it? Is there some kind of, you know, expertise that you're leveraging to provide guidance on how to go about solving the problem? Or are you just doing a thing? Client says, jump, you say, how high? Because then maybe you're not a consultant. That's frankly more like a contractor, right? Um, But a consultant, in my mind, is somebody who is taking their their expertise, their experience, and using that to advise and guide the client on how to solve a problem, what steps to take next, how to define a solution, so on and so forth. And that might be mixed with the delivery of a solution. But the advisory piece, I think, is is critical to the definition of a consultant.
0: And let's talk about the implications of that, because you say you, you indicated that clients come and they will they will sort of be unsure and um, i agree with you 100% and i also see clients who absolutely are consultants using our working definition that we're talking about today but who really have a hard time seeing themselves that way they still see themselves as the person who is just going to you know deliver a thing right hand over a product and what that means is that they are really you know, undervaluing the expertise, all of the years of you know, training and experience and everything else that they've, they've pulled together um, and boiling it down to this, this thing, right? This, this output that is not necessarily aligned with the value that their client you know, needs and is receiving from them. So let's talk about how you act differently once you step into your consultant shoes. And maybe yeah. it starts with, with how you talk about yourself, right? How you present yourself to the world.
1: I was going to say, it's a bit of a, it's, it's kind of a tricky thing. Like while, while you were speaking at, you know, what was going through my mind was, this is hard. This is hard to do because <laughs> a, a consultant, and let me, let me give you my, another kind of like shorthand way of thinking about it. Are you the brains? or are you the pair of hands? In other words, is the client bringing you in because they need your expertise? And if they don't have your expertise, they're not not going to be able to get this thing done, or are they bringing you in to just do a job? Are you the pair of hands? So, so quick story. You've heard this one, Kerry, but for the benefit of our listeners, one of our oldest clients, uh, I think he was one of the first 10 clients, if I'm not mistaken, inside 90-day pipeline. You're on that list too, Kerry Miller. Uh, his name's dr arlen ward um, runs a fantastic engineering consulting firm um, called system insight engineering and he told me this story once about he had put a proposal in front of a client and um it was a significant proposal and the the dollar value was not uh, you know uh, unsubstantial and the client says uh you know arlen this is very expensive and arlen says yes i understand and the client's thinking about it, they're mulling over the number, you can see the gears are turning, they're crunching the math, right? And they go, "And we really need to do this." And Arlen says, "Yes, absolutely you do." And they're thinking about it, thinking about it, and they go, "We don't know anyone else who can do this for us." Arlen." And he goes, "I know it's hard to find good help, I hear you." And the client eventually goes, "Well, I guess we better get started." That's a consultant.) Mm-hmm. That's somebody who has, you know, specialized expertise that they put in front of the client, position that expertise as the vehicle through which a problem can be solved or an outcome can be achieved. And the client goes, in 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 a manner of words, we need you to get this done. Yes, you're going to deliver a service. Arlen delivers a service, absolutely, but there's expertise, advice baked into that service that's necessary. If they could go out and hire somebody else to do the service that didn't have Arlen's expertise for cheaper, believe me, they would have. And I think that's where it's tricky for a lot of people is, you know, you've really got to, first of all, believe <laughs> for, for yourself, first and foremost, in yourself. you got to believe that you have some rare specialized expertise that is worthy of uh, the, the the label of a consultant, that is worthy of, you know, being perceived as the brains, the the person the client needs in order to do something, not just a pair of hands. And it's worthy of the premium price point that consultants ought to be charging.
0: And let's talk about the way you described it, right? Rare and specialized expertise, because I think this is where people get tripped up. You know, I do, I'm, I'm whatever, I'm a business consultant, I'm a coach, I'm a whatever it is. And I know that there are other people who have that title, right? Who use that same language. And so how is it that you get from feeling that you are just one of many to a place where you really recognize that you do have that specific, rare, valuable expertise?
1: In a word positioning. And more specifically, what I mean by that is narrowing your focus. So look at somebody like me. Now you might say, well, Ahmed's a pretty good marketer. Okay. But if you put me up against every other marketer in the world, am I one of the best? Who knows? I mean, gosh, how many marketers are there? Right? I, I don't even know how to begin ranking myself against all the great marketers there are in every industry, in every category, in every vertical, in every company. I don't know. I mean, all of a sudden I get very self-conscious. So I'm sure there's people out there better than me, right? But narrow the focus. Is there anybody better than me at marketing a consultancy, professional services? That's our niche. Now there may be, right? But the point is, I doubt it. Right. The point is that it's that that's that's the very narrow world and within which I've decided to play, and I've dedicated, yeah, you know, at this point, over a decade to mastering marketing within that very narrow focus. And a decade ago, I, you know, I certainly would have had a lot of insecurity around can I can I be a consultant and can I really you know command a premium price in this space, make a name for myself when I was learning the craft. Right. But there was a point at which I'd done enough, had enough experience within the domain that said, yeah, you know what? I am an expert in this and not a whole lot of other people are. Maybe I can build a business around it. And then obviously I did. Right. So I think the 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 narrowing of the focus is is necessary. There are some mindset things here, absolutely, which we can talk about. But the narrowing, the focus is necessary because I don't care how confident you are. You're not going to be or feel like you're the best business coach in the world. you gotta narrow the focus.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, this notion of narrowing the focus, it's really interesting because it can occur in a bunch of different ways, right? You can narrow based on who specifically you're serving. You can narrow based on the specific problem that you solve. And it always stuns me, like we've, you know, we've supported hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of consultants. And I am still surprised every single week by you know a new focus, a new niche, a new uh, solution that's being delivered that I didn't even know was a problem, quite frankly. But um, you know, just understanding that there is going to be a, a, a market of people, and yes, you need to determine that market is is big enough for you to run a you know, a successful business on the back of, but, you know, just understanding that if there is a problem that you have solved, there are other people who have that problem, but getting so clear about what the problem is specifically, who it is that you're talking to specifically. And, you know, we are maybe not the best example because, you know, at its face, it can still look pretty broad that we're marketing to consultants, professional service providers. But, um, you know, just the notion of taking that, focus narrower and narrower and narrower. And then knowing that you can pull back and and really find the right balance makes all the difference. Not just in positioning, but to your earlier point, in how you feel about yourself, which is really the thing, in my opinion, that's at the the base of all of this. Once you have that figured out, there's a whole bunch of things that fall into place that we'll we'll work our way into.
1: And, and there's a there's like a shift. And I don't, I almost don't know how to describe it. And I'd love to pinpoint like where it happened for me specifically, but there's a shift where it's like, okay, yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm an expert. <laughs> I think I got the goods, right. People are starting to kind of recognize it. And in the, in the beginning, I think it's kind of just like you're using the validation and proof of other people, you know, clients, prospects, people on LinkedIn, et cetera. And And then there's a shift where it's like, Oh yeah. I mean, you own it. You know, it's like, I, I'm really good at this. My clients get a lot of value. Not a lot of people can do what I do. The, I'm a rare breed in this space, right? And then and then that's where things really start to shift. Uh I think, you know, one quick note on like, you know, how narrow is too narrow, how broad is too broad. Seth Godin talks about this a lot, you know, this notion of the long tail, right? And and he talks about it more in a consumer context, but it applies just as well to B2B. The idea is You know, what used to be weird and obscure 20 years ago, (laughs) it's no longer weird and obscure, right? Think about like the most obscure sub-community, you know, people who like dogs that wear hats. I'm just making that up completely right. But I promise you there's a Reddit group promise you there's some kind of online community for the most obscure things that you've ever heard of. And there's hundreds, if not thousands of people following it, because what the internet has done is given us all a place to communicate and collaborate and gather in ways that were not possible before, because, you know, 30 years ago in your little town and, you know, nowhere is real Ontario. I'm not talking about you, Carrie.
0: My little town.
1: (laughs) How many dog owners like putting hats on their dogs and taking funny pictures? Maybe a lot in your town. I can't tell. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it wasn't a thing, right? But now on a global scale where you can share pictures and you can communicate and you can collaborate and comment on each other's pictures, that's all of a sudden a big community. The same things happen in B2B, right? Obviously, it's very different. But in in your little town or city, there might only be... A very small handful of SaaS companies using a specific software platform who are having serious problems with customer churn and are between 5 and $10 million, mm-hmm. if that's your market. But on a global scale, or certainly on a national scale, all of a sudden that market's a lot bigger, right? So I feel like a lot of people are are trying to be broad because... You know, they think they need to be in order to appeal to a large enough market, but they're still kind of thinking in almost in uh, geographic terms where I need to, you know, when I first started guilty as charged, I thought about, well, actually most of my clients were in the greater Toronto area. Didn't actually make a whole lot of sense. I just, I just had this construct in my mind, like I'm going to just serve clients in this area, at least initially. And then I I remember I got my first American client and then I thought to myself, well, yeah, why not? I mean... (laughs) It wasn't strategic. It just kind of landed on my lap via social, right? But kind of made sense, right? So when you think about it, without geography being a barrier, which certainly should be a lot easier now post COVID, you should go narrow, and and there's it's very hard to argue that you're going to narrow yourself out of a market when you consider, uh, you know, no geographic limitations.
0: It's important to recognize that this figuring out of what your niche is happens in two ways. I think there's an intentional path to it. And that's something that we walk people through, right? Like we help them figure that out. And if you're out there in the world as a consultant, you're working on figuring that out. But there also is the organic ebb and flow that happens. And you said, you know, I don't know the day when it happened. And I think that for a lot of people looking back is really, really helpful here. So, you know, sitting down and academically figuring out who it is you want to serve and what the problem is that you solve is very important exercise, but even of more value, and especially because we're talking to people who have expertise, who have, you know, developed their skills over a period of time working with clients, whether it's in an organization or whether it's independently. But when you look back, that's when you can really, note the trends. That's when you can really see, okay, wait a minute. Here's a little thing that's common among all of these folks that maybe I hadn't thought of before. And when you find that and start positioning yourself around that, magic happens because you know the people that are taking pictures of their dogs with hats on get so excited when they meet someone else who's taking pictures of the dogs with hats on. This so make, I made
1: this up, but it's probably a thing.
0: I'm, I, you know what, as soon as we get off this call, I'm absolutely (laughs) going to find out. But when you think about a particular thing that you get excited about, whatever it might be, and imagine, you know, you're in a room, you're at a party, you're having conversations. When you find someone else who has that interest, you light up, right? It's exciting. You want to be with them and have a conversation and connect with them. No different in a B2B consulting world. And that's really what, you know, positioning and marketing is all about is connecting with people in that way where they have that emotional draw towards you. And so, yeah, like, don't worry about being weird and specific. (laughs) Just be weird and specific in a clear way and find your other weird and specific uh,
1: people. Well, and because, and what's the upside? The upside is premium fees Mm -hmm. because you don't pay a generalist the same fee that you would pay a specialist and look at that in any industry, healthcare being a really obvious example. That's relatable to a lot of people. I guarantee you your cardiologist who performed that triple bypass on you makes more money than your general physician. That's just the nature of the game. Clients understand that, right? It, going back to the Arlen story. Why is Arlen charging a premium? Cause our client said, I don't know where else to go, man. Like you're it. <laughs> you're who we got. So I'm going to pay. Whatever it takes to work with you, knowing I don't have any other options.
0: Yeah, to me, I see there are are really three clear upsides, maybe more. We'll see if you you tack any more onto my list. But first is positioning. So we've already talked about that, right? Your ability to connect with the people that you are trying to connect with. Second is your fees. So ability to command that premium price. And third is doing the kind of work you want to do. right? Because this is what allows you to be fussy, right? To be discerning, to decide this is the problem I want to solve because it's not just the thing I enjoy the most. It's also the place where I know that I'm providing the greatest impact to the folks that I'm working with. And so, you know, if I said to you, do you want to spend your days uh, connecting with people that are similar to you in some way, doing work that you want to do with people you want to do it, and charging premium fees. I'm not sure there's much to argue with there.
1: And it's such a tremendous opportunity. Like, I don't know, you know, we can, we can talk all day about, you know, recession and economy and blah, 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 blah. But I don't know of another point in history where this is more possible. This is more feasible. that You could take your very rare specialized expertise that you probably crafted at a larger firm or in corporate, and you could package that up and then find an entire market of other companies and organizations who need that type of support and help and then make a living strictly operating within your zone of genius, genius and never, you know, never needing to step outside of that and make a handsome living doing it. I just, I just don't know that we've ever been in a, in a, at a point in human history where that was even possible. Is that a bold claim?
0: (laughs) No, I like it, and um, yeah, it just it it was making me think of you know just this notion of how quickly things can move and change now as well. And if you think back, you know, I don't know how many years, um, you know, kind of pre-internet or pre-internet being something that everyone was using. When you think about launching a business and the notion of having to choose what you were going to do, and like. Put it in the yellow pages. I'm showing my age for sure now, right? But like print business cards and do all of these things that were so permanent and such a commitment. And yeah, I mean, you lived in a world where you couldn't, you also couldn't make adjustments, right? One of the great things now as well is you can have access to people, you know, on an almost minute by minute basis to find out. Is your message landing? How do they feel about it? You know, what do I need to adjust? And you can make those changes immediately. And so this notion of finding a niche and, you know, really evolving that niche, because as time goes by, you learn more, your market changes, all these things happen. But I also think there's never been a better time to be able to find your people and get the input and the data that you need immediately. In a way that helps you continue to, you know, improve and just enhance your ability to do business with them.
1: One thing I'll say, maybe as a parting note here, is if you're if you're a service provider of some sort and you don't necessarily uh, identify with the label consultant or see yourself as a consultant, but you kind of like the upsides here <laughs> that we're talking about, I think the opportunity is look at how you can start to embed a consultancy element into your service. And the question is, what is is the expertise that we have that is already built into the service delivery or could be further integrated into the service delivery that would further differentiate and create distinction for our service? That's a big opportunity because if you're just a service provider, you can be shopped against other service providers. And ultimately, if that's the game that you play, they're going to choose the client that We'll choose based on who's the cheapest. But if you can really find that consultancy element, that rare specialized expertise that you bring to the service delivery, and even just highlight that, even if nothing else changes, but you highlight that in your messaging, in your marketing, in your sales process, that's going to create a a serious advantage for you.